I'm not the music guy, but I'm your boss, so. No, I, like, no but like this, I just wanna, I just think we need to hear each other's voices sing those words. And so like, it, I mean, sing loud, but also listen, listen to these words. So just that, if you could just, just sing the chorus, chorus, just that last chorus, yeah. It's hear that with it with just instruments out just our voices and some of you sound really bad but I still appreciate it and anyway <laughs> now you know what it's like around our staff <laughs> I don't care just do it oh no it's so good to see everybody I hope everybody's having a, a great week if you're new here welcome to Cornerstone my name's Todd um, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you if, if you come up later I'd love to be able to just say hi shake your hand pound the fist, wave, whatever we do now during COVID, but I'll do that, you know, just to be able to say hi, really glad that you're able to make it. For all the rest, just this church family, oh gosh, just stand up here again, gosh, do I love you. Love this church. So thankful that I get to be the shepherd of this particular church, so. Well, thank you, I love you. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna bring membership to a close, finally, all right? All these baptisms made us like get behind, but that's okay. We need to baptize people. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. If you don't have one of these membership booklets, I'd love to be able to get you one. Um, and so if you need one, please just raise your hand. One of the ushers will be happy to walk by and to, to give you one. Also, you can find this on our website at cornerstonesimi.com. If you go to the, I think it's the About Us section, look down at membership. Anyways, you'll have to do a few clicks, but you'll be able to get there. Or even on these particular booklets, if you look inside, there's the Scan Me. Well, that takes you to the application, though. Well, that's not bad. Go there, too. Uh, but anyways... Oh, yeah, there's the papers right there. I only brought one of these up. If you need a paper to get to it on your phone, you can do a QR code and uh, be able to get there. I sound so, like, cool saying QR code. I'm like, well, you know, do the QR code and the scan me. I'm so, I'm a loser. I'm not that cool, just so you know. But we, yeah, everybody's like, we know. <laughs> My wife's back there going, amen. Mm. Praise Jesus. Well, what we've been trying to do um, in walking through this membership section, and let me just kind of explain it to you from just maybe a little bit from my heart, is that I think walking through the last year, year and a half or so, it's really reminded me how important not only deep committed relationships are, but actually looking at each other and doing what we called or what, what Christian preached about this idea of making a covenant together. Now, one of the questions I got is, man, why do you have to use that word covenant? It's just, it's a word that isn't it only a word that God uses to, towards humanity? And the answer is no. 
Anytime you read within the Bible, there's a deep, meaningful covenant between people. So like Jonathan and David, they made a deep, meaningful covenant together. They were, they were two guys just making a deep, meaningful covenant. Job, uh, he made a covenant with his eyes. We, we learn about that, that this idea of a covenant just means there's weight to it. That's why this idea of merely saying we're going to make a promise to one another or a, a commitment to one another, it just didn't ring with like a biblical weight to it that we needed to be able to do when we said we're going to be together. I think the other part about it is, is just that, that I want to make sure that everybody knows this. You can feel free to ask more questions. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. Like, it's been a little over 10 years ago since Francis announced he was going uh, to exit and go figure out what, what God has for him. I always joke he's, he's going to go walk about. Um, but um, I, I'll be honest with you. There was no class on how to take over a local church when a celebrity pastor leaves. Like, just, and if anybody that knows me knows that I'm never afraid to own it. There's many times I didn't know what to do, and I haven't always made great decisions, and I, I've always tried to confess that to you. And I think even just this membership thing, um, when, when we kind of, in a weird way, disbanded it back in like 2006 or whatever, we didn't realize kind of the mess it was going to create but we're trying to renew it now. And so I understand if even you're sitting there going, hey, I'm just gonna kind of wait and watch and see a little bit. I, I totally understand that. I, I'm not in any way uh, gonna be judgmental towards you. If you have more questions, I want you to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, I hope what you're gonna see is us being faithful to walk and to build these deep committed relationships together. Because let me tell you something. I really do believe this. In the next coming like five to 10 years, we better have deep, committed relationships because I do not think the world is gonna get easier. And I don't think it's wrong at all to look at each other in the eye. Now, based upon the text of scripture, right, I'm never gonna ask us to walk away from the truths of God's word, but based on the, the truths of God's word, we need to look at each other in the eye and make these kinds of commitments to one another. Your leaders here at Cornerstone, the, 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 the elders and the deacons, you need to know that we're not just kind of going through the motions of this, that one day, we, we talked about this last week out of, and the week before out of Hebrews 13, we will stand before the living God and give an answer for how we've shepherded a church. So I better dang well know what I'm being called to do, but you all too, understanding what it is that you're, being commi you're committing to inside of a local church is so important. So just understand this. Understand if you're going to sit and kind of watch for just a little while to, to, to engage in this, but I'll just tell you this, coming off of COVID, I just don't see myself flinching. Like, I think we're ending into a, heading into a time that we really need to learn what does it mean to make these kind of committed relationships together. So take the time, look it over. If you've already signed up, great. But I would even say this, I would invite you to sign up, um, even too, just to engage in it. We've been following through with almost everybody. Uh, it's taken a lot of meetings, and so if, you, if we haven't met with you yet, we're trying uh, to get there, but um, that's what we're doing. So let, let, me, let me start us off this way. If you remember right, when we started off this, this whole thing, we said we wanted to talk about a church as being these local committed relationships to one another. We talked about it from the, the idea of a disciple, like I said, a covenant, but we even talked about this idea of a discipleship pathway that at the end of the day, really what we're trying to do is we're seeking to engage ourselves in Jesus's mission. 
And Jesus' mission is not going forward. There we go. Is laid out in Matthew 28 where he talks about just this idea that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you're, you're going along, what I want you to do or what your mission is, the chief mission of the church to which we are going to be held accountable for is this idea of making disciples of all nations, by the way. That's why we emphasize what God's doing around the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, to obey, to keep, to immerse themselves in these teachings of Jesus. And then he says this, and I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is, this is our command. This is our mission. This is what Jesus has called us to. Now, that's why one of the chief things about what it means to be a member at Cornerstone, and we have this inside of the member booklet, is that you'll commit yourself to the Great Commission. There's very few things that you're being asked to commit to inside of Scripture. Number one being, obviously, the God in and through the person of Christ, the role of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. But this mission, then, if he truly has authority, is what we mean by, if you're a part of this church, we're going to commit to this thing. The committing to not only making disciples, but making disciples of Jesus Christ. So that we might be, Acts 1-8, these witnesses to Ju Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, to the, to the uttermost ends of the world that we are called to this. And let me just tell you this, I love talking about this part of it because you and I and all of us sitting here today are because a group of Christians took this seriously. If you follow the line of the Middle East up and through to Europe, probably most of us, the Christianity we experienced came through more of an English-European concept. It landed onto the shores of the United States, and somehow, in some way, the gospel ends up in Southern California, and guess what we're doing right now, 2,000 years later? But it was because people were faithful. We have a job to do. We're engaging in what God's called us to do, and so that's why this chief thing is to be able to do this. So we framed it around this idea, though, last week, if you remember right, around obeying um, your leaders, and that's why I'm in front of you today. I forgot my robes so you could obey me. But we talked about obey not being the fact, like, you know, I'm going to stand up here as a parent and be like, you know, clean your room and take out the trash, though I wish my kids did. Um, but I'm standing in front of you, and actually this word means to trust. Put your trust in. Now, I'm not saying put your trust in me apart from the work of Jesus, because Acts 17, 11, you are to be also like the Bereans and considered noble-minded, that you search the scriptures daily. They were doing it to see if what Paul was saying it was true. I'm asking you to do it no matter who's up here or engaging your life to see if what Todd is saying is true. We're calling you, and we talked about this last week, not to the authority of Todd. Any authority I have has been given to me by God, and that's alone only found in the text of Scripture. We're calling you to the authority of God's Word. But even this idea of submit just means this, it's, it's a bringing about, what we talk about in the discipleship pathway, just a sense of really being able to flourish in what we're doing. And if you remember right, I talked about this idea on one end, leaders within a church are called to be able to model the authority of Jesus so that when people see the type of authority that we wield, it's not the thumb down, squishing people type of authority. It's not the authority that kind of just says, you know, go do your thing. It's not the authority that sits back in a room or is the guy on the, you know, out on the, uh, uh, the construction site going, you know, why don't you move that? Why don't you move that? That's not the authority. The authority is the last shall be first. The greatest amongst you shall be actually the least. 
The servant actually is the one who is the true leader within a particular group of people. My heart is, is that what you see amongst all the leaders of Cornerstone is a true type of servant leadership where at the end of the day, we metaphorically wash feet. We lead from a position that Jesus led from an authority that he came not to be served, but to serve. But my prayer is the submission that you have also allows our world to see Jesus that we don't sit there and say, I'm not submitting to no one. I'm, you know, I'm my own man. I'm an American citizen. I've got rights and freedoms and all these other things. No, you don't have a thing unless God the Father gives it to you. Amen. And so therefore, we model submission even to great extent. And unless that submission asks me in any way, I'm, asked, I'm commanded to do what God forbids or forbid what God commands, I go, and even at great cost to myself, in order to model the greatness of Jesus, I submit. And so just understand this. At the end of the day, what my heart is, is that whether you're leading or whether you're submitting, we are showing off the greatness of Jesus to our world in all kinds of different dynamics and various ways. And so that's where we've kind of come to this particular point. Now, when we talk about those responsibilities members, let me just kind of read you what's in the book. If you've got your book, it's on page 23. Or if you're looking at it inside of your phone, it just says, look, there's an expectation that in order for us to be able to flourish, in order for us to be the church that God's called us to be, there's the expectation that each individual believer will maintain an ongoing relationship with God. Let me just say this. One of the most important things that you do inside of our local church, if you're a member, is maintain a growing, thriving relationship with Jesus. That's one of the big things. And by the way, don't you want to be held accountable to that by this committed group of followers that are around you? But not only that, it's with also the congregation of believers which, which he or she, y'all, typically associate. And where we get that from is like Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Now looking down at, at like, or if you got your Bibles, you can look at it in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 that you can see in there that there's this, this idea that he's gonna lay out. Oh, actually, I'll come back to that. Uh, he lays out this idea of verse 24. Let us consider this, this word, what it means is, is it, it means to ponder, to think deeply about. But look what we're supposed to do. Your responsibility in not only your growing relationship with God, but in your growing relationship with one another is to figure out how to stir one another up. The word actually means to agitate. Now, some of you are like, shut up, I'm good at that. I'm like, great, yeah, thank you for, I see that hand, Greg. Let's just pray for Greg right now. Lord, help him. But it means to agitate. Think about that. I, as your shepherd, leader, am looking at all of you and saying, I am calling you to submit to me to agitate. <laughs> if your kids were here right now, they'd be like, dang straight, I'm a great kid. Dang, I didn't know I was so good. But what does this agitate mean? It's to agitate, look what it's towards though. To agitate one another to love and good works. It's not neglecting to meet together. In other words, we're gonna have to be together to fulfill this as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you say the day drawing near. The agitation involves this kind of reality. One is, is you're agitating people towards a love of Jesus Christ. 
You're, you're calling them to understand the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. You're that friend that's always in their ear talking with them. Man, how are you doing in your walk with Jesus? What are you learning? What are you growing in? How's your time in the Word been? What books are you reading? In other words, there's this a stirring that happens inside of somebody's life, but it's not just in this kind of a vertical relationship, but it's also to love one another and towards good works. It's an agitation that says, man, are we fulfilling what God's called us to do? Are we looking at each other in the eye and saying, do we really, really love each other? Not just do we pretend. And even this idea of good works is also, but then does the world know who that we are and who we're called to be? Now in this, this stirring that's supposed to happen, and let me go back to the slide I was talking about, this means what we're stirring each other to is a close relationship with the Lord through regular Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and the practice of spiritual disciplines, which we walked through last fall. Your relationship with this church will be evident through just your participation in gathering together, the Lord's Supper, being in the church body, making disciples service, a life that honors Jesus. In other words, we've got to figure out how in the world to spend more time, not only together, but engaged in what God's doing, which I think is one of the hardest things to figure out right now. Let me just see if I can explain what I mean. Almost everybody I talked to today, I kept tallying my head. Of the 39 people that I talked to and said, how are you doing? What do you think the number one response was? Busy. 35 of 39 people, when I said, how are you doing? They said, I am busy. Now that word busy is an interesting word, isn't it? It's a word that we use when we kind of get to the end of our day and we feel like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know what I, I didn't really accomplish anything. I'm not sure what I accomplished. I mean, even over the last four weeks, if I confess to you, somebody, somebody last week asked me how I'm doing and I said, I don't know. And anybody ever felt like that? You're reviewing your whole week and going, I don't even know how I'm doing. Now, what that means is, is I really do think in the coming years, one of the things the church is going to have to work together on is to figure out what do we do with, I think, one of the greatest, most expensive commodities that there is in the world right now, time. We've had to figure out how to learn together, how to, not just in, in a legalistic way, get rid of our time, you know, so that it's devoted to these, these things that we think are spiritual, but to actually create time to be together. And by the way, I'm not talking just today. If your only experience of being around God's people right now is just hanging out in this room, that is not sufficient to be able to stir and provoke one another towards the love and good deeds that he's talking about. That's why we encourage you to get involved in things like communities. It's inside of communities that we look at each other, you know, and we're able to really care about one another. It's in those places that in the communal life that I share, I remember oh, just a few weeks ago, this, this one lady in, in, in Lisa and my life, she wouldn't let me off the hook till I really told her how she was doing and how she was gonna fix my life because she's one of those fixer type of people. It's those people that come up and call you when you sin. It's the people that are there with you when all of a sudden life kind of collapses around you and they're those ones that are not like Job's friends that try to fix anything. They're those ones that just sit there and pray with you and be with you. In other words, we gotta really work on this whole thing of learning what does it mean to build relationship. To be a member of Cornerstone, when we talk about this idea of not only building a relationship with God, 
but we gotta figure out how to build a relationship together. We gotta learn kind of this reality out of 1025, how it is that we cannot forsake the being together, but to build times of being together, but that's hard. We got work, we got kids sports. I mean, my wife says, oh, it's no big deal. You know, we just got three of our four kids playing sports, but you know, there's three or four kids. Oh, I love sports, but not anymore. I'm kidding. I love watching them. It's awesome. But we're going all over the place, taking people different things. Here we go. And at the end of it, right, you're like looking at each other going, how was your day? Yeah, mine too. Oh. To do this, we've got to figure out what to do with time. I think not only that, but we've got to help one another. When you look at verse 16, this idea of teaching one another how to draw near, which by the way, takes us not only time, but it takes this level of seriousness in each other's life. To truly agitate one another towards God truly means to teach one another how do we create nearness to God? How do we create nearness to one another? You see this again in Hebrews eleven six, where it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would, look at this, draw near to God. The idea is that we should, must believe that he exists. We, we must believe that he truly is the one that he says he is, but we've also gotta begin to believe that he rewards those who seek him, and that's where we need one another to do that. So in this responsibility of what does it mean to be a member of Cornerstone, it's truly now when I say this idea of not only being near to God, but near to one another, I really do think in the coming years, we've got to learn this issue of time and we've got to learn how to spend it together, not just colliding inside of our holy huddle, but being inside of these group of people, because I really do mean that's going to be the way that I believe the world is going to be transformed. Now, here's the other thing. The idea built around that, because all these kind of build on each other, is that the individual Christians does not live out the faith alone, but look at these words so we understand what we mean by time together. The Bible talks about the fact that we're a family. We have a father, and, and it's that thing where in most cultures, they're not afraid of calling each other brother and sister, right? If I walked up to you and I said, hey, brother or sister, you'd be like, well, that's quaint, Todd, because I just use it. I'm like, hey, girl, hey, man, which is kind of just vernacular in the same way, but just go with me. But family, we're supposed to be family. We're supposed to be a body, meaning we're supposed to interact in such a way that we, we are always helping the other to be able to grow and succeed and flourish. We're to be a flock. The idea is that we're to, there's to be a sense of protection, a sense of getting one another to be able to feed, a sense to be able to know that there's guidance and direction in where we're going. And the other part about it is, is that we're to be, and this is, we're gonna talk about this more in the future, but we're to be a temple. Now, the word temple doesn't mean just clean. There's an aspect of it that's clean. But do you understand this? We're all about ready to exit this room, and we're about ready to go out in that parking lot. Did you know that there's going to be a bunch of unbelievers that are going to come amongst us? And somehow, in some way, all of us in this room are to be this temple, and we're supposed to take it out of this place over here in which we're going to have candy and jumpies and cars. And you're like, how in the world can you be the temple there? We are going out there as these ones who are containers of the Holy Spirit as the means by which though as unbelievers come amongst us, they don't just encounter us, they encounter the living God. That means as we walk amongst one another and care for one another and look at each other in the eye, it's not just to go have a good time. No, we're out there as representatives of the king and how we engage together in our spiritual service towards one another, unbelievers are gonna watch that, aren't they? 
Now you'll see this like especially inside of Ephesians. We, in 1 Peter, you, we've already talked a lot about this idea of a flock, but in 1 Peter 2, 19, look at this. You can, you can see this. You're to no longer be strangers and aliens. Look at this, but you're to be fellow citizens. That idea is, is that you're to be this, this holy nation, this kingdom of people with saints and members of the household of God. It's built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone, a household of God, family, uh, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into this holy temple in the Lord and him also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. We're to develop a closeness that does that. In Ephesians 1.22, we're to be a body working together. He clarifies it even more in 4.15 through 16 where it's equipped and it grows up in this thing that's called love. To be a member of Cornerstone is to learn how to be this together. Now, I know I'm belaboring the point, but let me belabor it just a little bit longer. The next generation is watching us. And let me just tell you something. They have wholeheartedly rejected the concept of the megachurch. They want nothing to do with it. They look upon it with massive skepticism. In fact, in all the research that I'm reading about the next generations, and some of you are the next generation in here, and so you kind of know what I'm talking about, you look at, they look at, or you look at the machinery of the church, and you're just like, gosh, I don't know if I want to go involve myself in that. But the one thing that they're looking for above all other things is they're looking for this thing called family. They're looking for spiritual grandmas and grandpas in their life. They're looking for spiritual aunts and uncles in their life. They're looking for spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ in their life. If we're gonna reach the next generation and keep the next generation, because let me just say this, there is a ton of people in that next generation that are walking away from the church because they're done with the show of singing three or four songs, hearing a message, singing a few songs, saying a few nice things, and then just going out. They're looking for so much, something so much bigger than that. And I think of any place in which they can experience true, authentic family, not the stuff that the world talks about. We need to. We don't have the option. We must learn what it means to be that kind of a church. And in the next five to ten years to be a member, that's my heart, is that we truly would be a family. That within each local church, our church, believers are called to demonstrate a mutual commitment to one another through exercising spiritual gifts, through practicing with the one another's. You can find that on the last page of our full doctrinal statement. The celebrating the Lord's Supper, even this one, the practicing of church discipline and restoration when necessary. Now let me just slow down on this one real quickly. Probably the one that concerns most people is when I say this idea of church discipline. So let me tell you a story around it, and then let me build it out. In 1999, and I, some of you know this, I uh, got a phone call from my father. He said, can we meet? And we got together, and in the midst of getting together, he said, hey, just so you know, I'm gonna wa- I, I, need to, I need to leave your mom. He told me a few things that were, I think, completely unfair about who she was. But little did I know that my father, what actually was going on was, is he was having multiple affairs with women at that particular point. Now, the hard part about this whole thing is I had just become an elder in the church that I was a part of, and my dad was a part of my local church and my mom. I remember sitting there, number one, trying to figure out what in the world to do with my dad, but then I'm watching as my mom is just caving in the midst of it as her husband is walking away from her. I remember sitting down with all the other elders, and we began to pray and wrestle, and in the middle of it, one of the guys pulled out Matthew 18, And he just started reading it to us. 
He just says, look, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and you and him alone. They looked over at me, and I did not want to hear this, but they said, in this church discipline process, Todd, you need to go talk to him. At the time, he was staying out on my grandparents' farm and ranch, and I remember I couldn't sleep that night because how in the world do you start looking at your own father and saying, I need to confront you. Not only am I going to confront you, but I'm going to confront you even to the point where I will remove you in a way from the local church. I went and played with him. I still remember we were out in my grandparents' what's called a calving barn. It's the barn in which we used to, here's the name, calves were born in it, right? So we called it the calving barn. I'm sitting there pleading with my dad, with everything that I am, to please repent and to return, that there's a way that Jesus Christ has hope. And I would just plead and plead and plead with him. In this moment, I won't tell you what he said. He said something so cruel and so harsh. All I remember thinking in that moment was just feeling my heart collapse, and I just walked away. In that moment, we took two or three others out, two of his really good friends, and we just pled with him, his friends that adore him and love him. Oh my gosh, man, it was like one of those moments in which, you know, I don't know if you've ever had it before, you're just, you're crying out for somebody's heart and they just won't listen to you. And again, shunned us. We followed through then in Matthew 18. And in verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to them, we told it to the church. We begged people, go reach out to him. Now, if you've ever been around a church like that, in some ways you've seen it in a putative sense where we're gonna make him pay. Let me tell you something. There was nothing in me that wanted my dad to pay. I wanted my dad to repent. I wanted to see him restored to Jesus. We told the church, he had found another local church, and I even went out to that local church to meet with the pastor. I'm just like, hey, we need some help here. And he goes, well, I don't really believe in this text of scripture like you do. He goes, I just have to give people, and he used the word that I hate it when people use it wrongly, grace. Grace is amazing. Grace is amazing, but it is not to be used in a way that we don't help people to see their desperation and need for King Jesus. He didn't repent. And I still remember the night we were sitting amongst elders and we're just crying our eyeballs out. And we had a piece of paper and on it, it said in there that we were going to, and in this passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, not only are to you to remove them from the church, but you remove them from the church and you turn them over to the Satan in the hopes that there would be restoration. Let me just tell you something. That night as I signed my name on that piece of paper, do you understand the heartache of turning your father over to the greatest created angel ever to sort his soul? On so many levels, you don't know what to do after that, but I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I kept reminding him, man, we can fix this, dad, we can fix it. He got remarried. And so again, that's good. I mean, his wife that he married was wonderful. But finally, about four or five years ago, finally my dad repented. I prayed for that for so long. But let me just tell you this, this process is not to beat people up and it is not to be punitive. It is to bring a pressure to bear on them so that they will see the greatness of Jesus Christ and they will repent and they will return to Jesus. 
Now, is there heartache and pain in it? Yes, but let me just tell you something. All of you sitting here right now, those of you that are members and not members, I say to you over and over again that I love you and I mean it. I truly mean it. But I will love any of you enough to confront you if you start to go on a path where you are no longer drawing near to God, but you're going your own way. That's how much I say that I will love you. And that's how much I want the church to love you. I want to fight at all costs for our nearness and our testimony to Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's why in this, in Galatians 6, it says, no, this is what happens. If anyone's caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual should, look at this, beat them up in the spirit, right? No. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself. Why? Because you can be tempted. There is so much possibility for pride when you're walking through other people's sin. You can think you're better than them. I mean, you don't understand this. When I'm, when I'm walking with people in counseling, sometimes I'm like, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. It's a terrible reality in my heart. Oh, it's awful. There's a temptation to go that, but we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, loving on them. In fact, I'll never forget this. One time somebody came to me and they, you know, they confessed that they had been disciplined by uh, another uh, church in town and we began to talk through it. And, and you know, this person said, man, I'd really love to be a part of Cornerstone. And I said, well, I'd love you too, but first we need to go back to that other church. Now on her face, I could just tell there was nothing in it that wanted to happen. But this is what I mean by restore. And this other church is here in town and I'm so proud of them. She agreed to go back and meet with the elders of that local church. When we walked into the room, I was nervous for her. She went in front of them. She began to confess I was wrong. And she was just, you know, her head wouldn't even be lifted up. And then the most gruffest, roughest, I thought meanest looking dude at the table suddenly stood up and started walking towards her. And I was ready to kung fu the guy. You know, I'm just like, what's he gonna do? And he got down on his knees in front of her and he grabbed her hands and he was bawling his eyeballs out. I didn't see that. And he said, of course, we forgive you. And suddenly, all these other men walked around this woman. And they're just, they're praying over her. And they're, they're confessing to her also realities. And let me just tell you this. That's how it's supposed to go. It was a beautiful moment. She went back to that local church in front of everybody in the congregation. They announced that she was restored. And let me tell you something. That is the purpose of discipline. Now, I've talked about the end result, but the vast majority of the church discipline we're supposed to do is just looking at each other and going, hey, don't be a knucklehead. I always joke with so many young people before they go to prom. They'll, they'll look at me, you know, they'll, they'll think I'm gonna say have fun. I look at them and I say, don't be stupid. <laughs> In a way that says I love you, I'm confronting you before you do something stupid. I especially look at the guy and I say, I will destroy you. No, I don't. No. Okay, kind of, yeah. No, but just, right? Man, there's this side of it where the simple reality of caring about one another when we're in sin and just going, hey, you know what? You're in sin. And those who are spiritual, I'm gonna confront you, but I'm also, though, I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna bring the goodness of Jesus to bear upon you. Everybody with me on that? Okay, okay. 
so that you will submit to discipline by, God's, by God through the Holy Spirit to lovingly exercise biblical processes for church discipline in your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, to submit to discipline when approached biblically by the brothers and sisters in Christ, and to submit to discipline by church leadership if need should ever arise. Now here's the last thing though, let me finish this way. All of this still comes back to one thing, make disciples. In the coming weeks, we're gonna take a little bit of a series before the end of the year, and we're gonna talk about this idea of the mind and how the mind plays into how we view the world and how we engage the world. I, I can just say this, for the next few weeks until the new year, please don't miss this. This is gonna be essential for us as a local church because I really did, I think I did, almost everybody around me over the last year and a half, we've lost our mind in some way and we need to restore this to what Jesus has called us to do. And so we're gonna spend some time looking at God's word and having Romans 12 too, our, our minds renewed, okay? That's what we're gonna look at. After that, then, we as a church are going to look at First and Second Thessalonians. If you've never read those books before, I can't wait for us to, as a church to walk them through. Why? Because whether we're talking the mind or whether we're talking First and Second Thessalonians, the goal of all of them is to make much of the glory of God, to bring glory to him through the making of disciples. And so as we all bring this to a close in this membership thing, take your time, process it, think it through, Ask questions, but over the next year, two, five years, 10 years, however long Jesus tarries until he calls me home or until you all kick me out of here as your pastor, we're gonna make disciples. We have to. We don't have an option on this one, but I promise you churches that choose to make disciples five, 10 years from now, you know we won't regret it because we'll see spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, people that are exiting Cornerstone, going and planting other churches in the nation, and even those that are buying into this reality that we're to make disciples of all nations that I believe will go even to other parts of the world because they believe the greatest message ever of Jesus Christ and then take seriously the idea of making disciples. And so I'm gonna just finish this way. Cornerstone. In the name of the Father, who reigns and rules over all things, in the name of the Son, in whom all authority has been given, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who has the power to not only change our lives, but to change churches and change communities, and pray by God's grace, will even change hearts and minds around the world. Regardless of whether you sign up for membership or not, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, go make disciples. Everybody hear me? Go make disciples. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.